I'm going to be looking at the uh, seven trumpets. We didn't read chapter 8, but we'll begin there. And I wanted Tim to read the uh, outlandish description of this invasion of the earth in chapter 9. But uh, on the judgments that are poured out, let's say the seven-year period, we looked at these seal judgments, and then these trumpet judgments, some believe they begin at the middle of the week, and they're just poured out, poured out, and they come quickly. It's like the seal judgments open up, the seventh one to the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments open up to these bowls or vials. So they're rapid, probably in the last three and a half years of this period that I think is described in Matthew 24 and here most thoroughly. And so he's describing what will happen as we understand it once the church is caught away and what is going to happen on the earth in this succession of plagues and divine wrath that's poured out on the earth. Uh, Why do we want to even look? I I feel sorry for you a little bit because last week, this week, and two more sermons is talking about the wrath of God, and it can be rather depressing. But it's this idea. God wants you to know the end game. I don't know if you're an optimist or a pessimist, but what is the future like? If God can tell us the beginning, Genesis 1 through 3, can he tell us the ending? What's the end game going to look like Uh, to a Christ-rejecting world? What is in the future? Should you know these things? According to Peter, these things will cleanse your heart. According to 1 John, you'll lift up your head in hope. It is good for us to know the prophetic calendar. It will oh, sanctify us, cleanse us, and put us on our toes, hopefully, that we don't go to sleep during the night. And so we pray that you'll be alert to these things. Let's look at the judgment, starting chapter 8. The seven seals, we pick up verse 6. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of green grass was burned up. This is just one judgment, one-third of the earth. And I think of these trees. I wonder if that'd be the Everglades. I wonder if it would be the, uh, the Amazon region where we have huge forests. Uh, where these fires break out, a third of the trees, all green grass was burned up. I have to say this is an ecological age, isn't it? We're all concerned about preserving the earth. And I don't think you ought to throw a banana peeling outside your car as you're driving. None of you would think of doing that. Uh, I I think we ought to preserve the resources around. We shouldn't poison water. We shouldn't pollute. I mean, uh, there's a lot of that just practical. But it is amazing today that if you save a cat, you can make the evening news. We, we, we caught a, a cat in the tree. 
Well, so what? So what? But we won't talk a bit about how many babies perished that day. Because we're in love with Mother Nature, whoever that is. I've never met her. There ain't no mother of nature. God created nature. It's the father of nature. God's the creator, not mother. And I love my mother. But no woman created what we've got as creation. And yet, in, in the midst of this, God as sovereign is going to step down in this globe and say, it's my real estate. I can do with it whatever I want. And I'm going to attack the earth and one-third of vegetation is going to perish. He goes on to say, second angel, blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, maybe an asteroid or uh, who knows, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So he acts upon the salt water of the earth, the oceans of the earth, and one-third of them were turned to blood. That's the sea life in them. One-third of all the merchant marine life on the oceans, all of that will be wiped out in this plague, and they were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and fell on a third of the rivers on the springs of water. Now, this is a fresh water supply on the earth. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, which was often poisonous. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. It's often used of bitterness and poison. And so now we've touched this salt water, We've touched vegetation, and now we're going to judge fresh water supply on the earth. And much of the earth is still plagued today by terrible water. In parts of Africa, uh, the guinea worm is destroying so many people. They cannot get sanitized water. And now God's going to touch the earth. Who knows where he's going to take up the fresh water supply? Here, we're trying to recover from a drought. What if God turned off all the water and a third of fresh water is no longer available? The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Now, this is amazing. Total creation, ecological control. I want to turn out the lights on one-third of all creation. And if you read Isaiah 13, he talks about even the earth will probably be removed from its axis. And he says, they stumble. The earth stumbles during the day of the Lord like a drunk man. This will happen. And all these cataclysmic things in nature, tides thrown off, calendars thrown off, vegetation thrown off, all your watches thrown A third of the whole earth, inhabited earth, will be without light. Stars, sun, moon. 
And yet, you see, these are the objects man has worshipped for centuries. The sun, the moon god, this god, all of this nature stuff. And God says, I'll show you who the creator, controller, the sovereign despot of the universe is. It's me. I control it all. And in this day, I'm going to take control of the earth, and I'm going to turn out lights, dry up water, poison water, it is cataclysmic what happens. Now he begins three woes that are tied to the last three trumpets. The last trumpet we will not look at, which is in chapter 11, that goes right into the kingdom of Christ. We want to look at the fifth trumpet and the sixth. Pick up in chapter 9. He says, I saw this fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star having fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. It's most likely this star is probably Satan because of the realm he gets to unlock and unleash on the earth. And he's seen, and you read in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall as a star from heaven. It's most likely a reference to Satan and what he will unleash in the day of the Lord. And so he's given the key to the bottomless pit. I've always been bothered by that phrase, what is a bottomless pit? I don't know. I often think of a miner's shaft that just keeps going and going and going. So it's obviously a shaft in the earth that has no human way of knowing its depths. And in this shaft are incarcerated, are spirit beings, demonic beings, held there until a divinely appointed hour. Now, there are spirit beings that have been forever put out of action. According to Jude and Second Peter, there were angels who sinned in the days of Noah that God incarcerated in a place called Tartarus, the prison house. They're, they can't get in the air. They're they're not going to get out during the tribulation. They're incarcerated because they did a sin in the days of Noah that God will never forgive them or never let them be free again. I think they inhabited the earth and used women to propagate the race because they wanted to destroy Messiah from coming to the earth. And God said, I incarcerate you. You will never be in the air. See, Satan said, Five times in Isaiah 14, I will ascend, I will ascend, I will ascend. God says, I will see that you descend five times. I'm casting you out of heaven into the air. Revelation 12, I'll cast you to the earth. Revelation 20, I'll bind you for a thousand years. Revelation in the future, I will put you in the lake of fire. You started here, you're going to wind up here. But here is an army of demonic beings that are not going to be incarcerated. They're going to be unleashed on the earth. Listen to what he says about them. He unlocks the shaft. Smoke comes out of it like a furnace. The sun was darkened. And from the smoke came locusts on the earth. Now, these are locusts like you've never seen before. The description of them makes them not the insect locusts, 
but a demonic being in the figure of a locust. And listen to how he's going to describe them. They're given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They're told not to harm the grass of the earth. Can you imagine instructing a non-intelligent being, don't hurt the grass? Now, the, these locusts have intelligence. He's talking to beings that can think. And your insect locusts, no. I, I want you not to harm the grass, the green plants, the trees. I want you to only hurt people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. I've got a mission. Go on the earth, and everybody on the earth that has refused God, refused Christ, I want you to torment them. And God is going to use Satan to pull this off. And they torment people, verse 5, and they seek death, and they, they're not to kill them, but their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. How's that? They'll pull the trigger, but it won't disengage. It will not fire. They'll jump off of bridges, and it won't kill them. For five months, they will be immune from death. They cannot end their life, for God is going to allow Satan to torture them for the five months. I talked to a pastor a while back who's had all kinds of health problems, and he said, I never thought that suicide looked so good until I started living with incredible pain. Had terrible neck problems, had lots of surgeries, lots of medication, went through a lot of things. And he said, I'm not saying I tried it, but it sure sounded good just if I could get out of pain. If I could get out of pain, you'll do anything if the pain gets bad enough. And they'll try everything. But God says, I want you to know, you cannot die in these five months. I will prevent you from dying. God's in charge of who dies and who doesn't. Right. Even the unsaved, God is in charge of even that time. They seek death, they don't find it. Now, let's get these uh, creatures described. Begin in verse 7. And I want you to notice the word like, like. Uh, is like identical? If I say you're like this, does that mean you're identical? No, simile, simile is not identity complete. You're like this. And watch what he says, they're like. You're like horses prepared for battle. You got crowns on your head. Your faces look like human being. Can you imagine seeing a locust that looked like a human being? It had a woman's hair, teeth like a lion, breastplates like breastplates of iron. The noise of the wings are like many chariots with horses rushing. They have tails that sting. They have power to hurt people for five months. And here he says, they have a king over them. And in Proverbs, he says, the locust has no king. 
The locusts have no leader over them in the society, in the uh, insect world. They, they're not monitored by a king. This demonic world, they got a king. It's the star that unlocked the bottomless pit. He's the one that tells them what to do. And so the name of their leader is abandoned, Apollyon, which means destroyer. And so this demonic horde comes out of the abyss in the earth and is going to be on the earth to do nothing but torture and make life miserable for a Christ-rejecting, God-hating world. Judgment is coming. The first woe is past. The second woe is coming. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Isn't that weird? Euphrates keeps coming up in the book of Revelation. Why Euphrates? Is this a literal river? It was in Genesis. The Garden of Eden was planted between the Euphrates, Pishon, uh, Tigris, and there's another river escapes. There's four rivers that came in that area. And so the Garden of Eden was right there. So the first sin ever committed on the planet was done in the area of the Euphrates River. The first murder took place next to the Euphrates River. The first world religion to throw off God and to find their way to heaven without God was Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel was built right next to the Euphrates River. According to the Bible, history is going right back to the Euphrates River because Babylon is built in, on the Euphrates River, and Babylon is to be destroyed in the day of the Lord in Revelation 17 and 18. Euphrates, the seed plot of evil and wickedness and idolatry and God-hatred on the globe, its birthplace was by the Euphrates River. And here God says, I've got four spirit beings, four demons, four angelic powers that are going to do something and unleash them in the vicinity of the Euphrates and notice what they do. They release these angels, and they've been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year. They were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, notice this. In chapter 6, a fourth of mankind is killed under one of the seals. Here, a third of mankind will be killed. Our population is going towards 8 billion. I don't know where we are exactly with 7 point something. Let's say it's 8 billion. In these two plagues, 4 billion people will die. 4 billion. Half the world's population will be dead, and we're not through yet. We haven't come to the bold judgments. We've eliminated half the earth's population directly besides those that are starving, those who can't get crops, those whose crops fail, the, the grass died, the forest died. Uh, the, the earth will be nothing but a giant grave during this time, dying, dying, 
Can you imagine the disease breaking out if you don't bury all the dead? Four billion people scheduled to die. In World War II, we had 73 million troops in uh, military garb. That was the highest figure I've seen. It goes 50 to 73 million. 73 million with Japan, Germany, uh, Britain, uh, parts of Italy, uh, Africa, the United States. We wound up with a maximum of 73 million troops. Now watch what these guys are going to do. They're going to unleash a number of 200 million, 200 million troops are going to be unleashed from this vicinity of the Euphrates. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Fire, smoke, sulfur out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. This is another, as I understand it, demonic army. Men like John Walvoord make it a human army because the Chinese army got up to 300 million men. I think the nature of them, the description, that they were locked up by the Euphrates, that they have this power. Uh, right here it says, by their mouth they destroy. This is not human warfare. This is demonic warfare. Two sieges of it. A 200 million in one attack. The other, we don't know the number. So what's going to happen to the earth? Who is the God of this age? Satan. Who is going to help destroy this age? Satan. God is going to let an unsaved world see what the devil would do if God released all inhibitions and said, do what you want to do. And what does Satan do? Since he's a murderer and a liar, he's going to kill you. Wherever Satan is, he's a murderer. He'll murder you. He'll murder your marriage. He'll murder your kids. He's a killer. John 8, 44, the Jews said, we have Abraham for our father. And Jesus said, no, you don't. No, you don't. The devil's your father. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And you are too. Every one of you were born under the power of Satan. You don't realize that. But according to Ephesians Chapter 2, 1 through 3, we were all by nature sons of disobedience, energized by the God of this age. Only God kept you from being demon-possessed. Can you imagine that a maniac of Gadara having 6,000 demons in him, and that the man that was going to let the demons go out of him, the demons begged, don't send us back to the pit. Let us inhabit these hogs. We don't want to go to the pit. And yet when Satan's unleashed, what does he do for his followers? He kills them. He slaughters them. And that's just what he wants to do to you. It's what he's doing on this earth. He hates the human race. He wants you to worship him. 
He wants you to bow to him, but never forget, he hates you. He's out to damn you. He's out to get you to hell. Listen to the Word of God. He's the one that keeps you blind from needing Christ. You, there's a veil over the eye of the unsaved man that unless God intervenes and steps in, your blindness will never be ended. You will die in your prejudice, your rejection, your resentment. Be miserable all the while, but you'll die. You say, I would rather go to hell than bow my knee to Jesus. And that's the only alternative. According to John 3, he said, uh, God so loved the world, he wants you to believe and be saved in order that you be not condemned. And the word condemned means that you be not a candidate for the wrath of God. And then he ends John 3 with verse 36. He said, those who believe are saved, and those who do not, they abide beneath the wrath of God. One time, I lived under the wrath of God, and so did you. The only thing is, I lived under it, but he never made it come down and touch me. If it would have, I'd been lost and destroyed forever. But I lived under it. I was a child of disobedience. I was by nature a Satan follower. Although if you'd asked me, I said, oh, no, no, Jesus is Lord. I know you ought to be born again. These people my folks run with are born again, and uh, Jesus is wonderful, but I don't want to live for him. I don't want to call him Lord. Why? I was living beneath imminent danger. Any moment, the wrath of God could have said, you've lived long enough, die forever. You're going to be separated from me because you never wanted Christ on my terms. You wanted him on your terms. So I know and you know if you're saved what it's like to be translated from the kingdom of darkness over here to the kingdom of his dear son and the wrath of God has forever been put behind you because he sentenced his son in your place. Jesus bore my wrath. Jesus bore your wrath. God's wrath of sin. Without that, with God's wrath comes upon you it will be eternal separation from the living God. And I want you to know the devil wants to kill your kids. Wants to kill. You know what? When he got permission, he killed Job's 10 children. God gave him permission. The devil killed the 10 kids with God's permission. And God's going to let this demonic horde kill a fourth and a third of the world's population to serve his divine purpose, to show us forever. If the devil's in charge, you're headed for the slaughterhouse. You better turn to the living God, the only one that loves sinners, the only one that has a refuge for sinners, the only one that can save you from the wrath of the living God is the slain Lamb of God. Flee to Christ. He's our refuge, our only refuge. Now he goes on and he says, what effect, what effect does all this judgment have on the earth? You think you'd have a worldwide revival, wouldn't you? Come on. I mean, the mountains are disappearing. The heavens are disappearing. A vegetation's disappearing. Every, oh, we ought to be having chat, just church everywhere. Everybody's seeking God. Listen to what he says. 
the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. What was your say? Did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, five sins they will not give up, idolatry, murder, sorceries. Let me give you the Greek word for sorcery. See if you can recognize it. Pharmacon. Pharmacy. It's called drugs. They would not give up their drugs which were tied to idolatry. It helped to get you out of your head. You could worship better if you were out of your head. That's why God tells you he wants your worship to be in spirit and truth. He doesn't want you on LSD or acid or uh, speed. No, no. He wants you to be thinking clearly. You can't worship without thinking. Just to work up a little emotional jump. I jumped a pew. That didn't mean that was worship. You just got exercise. <laughs> no, no. Think. And you give up idols. Do you see any idols in this place? Anything to bow to? When the Reformation first happened, they went through buildings. Our place is too fancy. We got, you know, PowerPoint. We got this. And, oh, we got blue light. I hope none of you are worshiping the light. Uh, they, they would, the buildings were bare. It was just plain, usually white walls, no artistry, nothing, no statues of saints, angels, Mary. No, 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 no. No. You know what could be an idol to you is you come in here and where you sit, someone took your seat so you can't worship. Uh, uh, the music. Music be an idol. A lot of people tell us people, churches grow based upon the band, not on preaching, because preaching's out. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a great church growth principle? I can't find any place in the Word where he said, preach the band. So preach the Word. But, you know, I got to have this. I got to have that. You mean to tell me if I locked you in a garage, you couldn't worship God? I don't hear you. Can you talk? Are you in the fog? I don't need a band to worship. I don't need you to worship. I need the living God. I got to have a heart attuned to him. I don't need any stimulation here, this or that. Work me up. You don't work me up in it. It's a matter of my heart. I want to give back to the living God what he's worth, what he's done, who he is, what he's all about. It's not all this other stuff. It's who he is. Worship your creator. Worship your redeemer. And, oh, we got so many spoiled saints. If everything's not just right, just like they want, if it's not their songs, if it's not their temperature, if it's not, oh, why don't you get desperate? 
you know, I, I, I'm playing in this, blame it on Gene Schnabel, got me on a bocce team in Martinez. Bocce is as exciting as watching grass, you know, grow. I, it doesn't do anything for me. But I'm out there, and we've been playing against this one exciting team called the Bastards. Yeah, that's the name of them. They're a biker club. They're not churchgoers, obviously. <laughs> Tattooed. They're drinking hard liquor by about 8.30, and that works in our favor. <laughs> I hope they get good and soused by 9.30, because we might win. They, I mean, they start to whine about 6, the heavy stuff later. But you know what? I kind of like the guys. They're just real sinners. It's refreshing to be around some real sinners and not in the church with all the elder brothers who is always critical that the father would throw a party for a prodigal that's coming home. You get so stuffy in church that you forgot what it's like to be lost and you don't even think of the loss. Howard Hendricks used to be the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. And he said every once in a while, he visited their locker room just to hear a few hells and dams to remind himself of where he came from. Are you a self-righteous elder brother that doesn't want to throw a party for lost sinners that come home? Or have you truly repented and saying, there go I but for the grace of God. And are you worshiping God? Not an idol worshiper. We don't worship stuff, creation. And then he said, they didn't even repent of their murders or their drugs, of their sexual immorality or their thefts. They basically said, if I have to give up this to go to heaven, no way. I don't want the trade. I love my sin." And they stay there. And yet the gospel is keep saying, I give you eternal life. I give you forgiveness. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring you back. I'll restore you. And you know what? I find out the wrath of God doesn't make people repent. According to Romans 2.4, the kindness of God leads to repentance. It was God's love, God's mercy. God's grace is the only thing that can melt a sinner's heart. You could preach hellfire and brimstone every Sunday for the rest of our lives, and you'll just get more stubborn and harder. The story that has won more sinners to Christ is Christ would die for me. Christ would give his life for me. Some time ago, I heard about a woman in Brazil. Uh, had a daughter that kept wanting to go to Rio de Janeiro. She wanted to go live there. And her mother was concerned, said, uh, uh, you don't have any vocational skills to survive a big city. I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. Uh, you can wind up at a brothel. You, you don't want to go. A few weeks went past. Sure enough, one morning, the girl's missing. She's gone. And uh, pretty soon, weeks turned into months. And the mother uh, became so concerned, she said, I'm going to the city. I'm going to find this girl. And what she did, 
she made posters with her picture on it, the mother's picture. Made these posters with mom's picture on it, and she wrote in Portuguese. I don't care how far you've gone, and I don't care what you've done. Come home. Come home. She went, she posted these things in every neighborhood she could. A lot of them were in the red light district. One day, this girl, sure enough, was working in a brothel. One day, it got her attention. She saw a poster on the wall. She went there. She saw the picture of her mother and read her message. All I got to do is come home. I don't have to make any explanations. I don't have to tell her everything I did. I don't have to defend. I just got to come home. See, whether you know it or not, ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been in exile. We went to the east, and we've been running from God ever since. The whole human race has no home. They have no home. Hell will not be a home. It will be the biggest exile of your life. The only time home is renewed is Christ says, I prepare a place for you that if you come to me, I'll share my home with you. And when you read Revelation, he said, I want to give you more than paradise ever took. What paradise was, this is going to surpass it by a thousandfold. Come to me, I'll get you home. And some of you, you need a home. You need to finally come to the arms of Jesus and say, God's wrath won't change me. I'm a rebel through and through. The stubborn human heart can resist even wrath. It can grit its teeth and go to hell. And Jesus said, in hell there will be weeping and gnashing. It hurts, but I'm not sorry. It hurts, but I won't repent. People never repent in hell. And they never repent in the day of the Lord. You don't like to hear that? I didn't write it. God said it. This is the day of salvation. This is the day God says, this is not the day of wrath. I'm calling you, come home. Do you want Christ? Do you want to come home? Do you want to drop all of your grievances and whatever is keeping you from, is it, is it sex? Uh, is it drugs? Uh, is it idolatry of some sort? Are you a murderer? What are, what's your sin that's keeping you away? Jesus said in John 3, you can be born again if you believe. But he said, men will not come to the light because their deeds are darkness. If you love the darkness, eternity will be full of it. If you want the light, come. Come home. Come to Christ. That's what the gospel is all about. Let us pray. Father, I pray for anyone here today that has never gone home. They've never gone to the arms of Jesus and received him as a Savior from the wrath of God, a Savior who gives eternal life, restores our relationship to God, and who promises us a home forever out of which we'll never be exiled, kicked out, or ever have a problem in the city. 
once we come to Christ who said, I'm the way to the city. I'm the truth that gets you to the city. I'm the life that gets you into the city. I am the way. I am the way to the city. You must come to me. I'm the door to the city. I'm the door. Come, come, come. I pray for anyone who may be here today, Lord, who has never come to you for forgiveness, has never come to you for eternal life. Why? I don't know. They're just insulated maybe in church. They've gone to church so long and gotten used to putting up with sermons but never born again. I ask, break through the self-righteousness. Break through the lostness. Show them their need of a Savior. That being religious will not get them to heaven. Coming to this church will not get them to heaven. Giving their money will not get them to heaven. Being baptized will not get They must come to the door. Jesus, the crucified door, laid down his life. He's our bridge over troubled waters. He alone is the bridge that gets us into the city. May men and women turn to Christ and be saved.